HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have my good buddy, Justin Lane Briggs. Welcome to the show. It's been, I think I asked you probably about two years ago on this show, probably when I first met you, and it was probably when we were drinking a bunch of truce. <laughs> That's probably true, yeah. yeah. It's been a while since... Uh since we first talked about it, and since it's actually happened, I suppose. Yeah, and thanks for so thanks for finally making it. My pleasure. It's good to be here. You almost hit. I think I think this is like episode ninety seven or eight. Oh, sweet! We're coming up to the the one hundred, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to you have to come back on the uh, one hundred. <laughs> um, yeah. So, jeez, uh, you've been uh, into a lot since uh, we first met a couple of years ago. That's true. That's true. Yeah, been all over the place. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you yeah, want to begin? Dude, you know what? <laughs> begin at the beginning. How did you get into all this, man? Um, all right, cool. Um, let's see. Uh, hmm. Who you is know? Justin Lee? <laughs> God, get ready for my life story. <laughs> um, well, I, I think, you know, when I try to think about where I began in terms of uh, making a, a career out of beverages... Um, I trace it back much further than alcoholic beverages. Uh, I started out, you know, I grew, I grew up in Vermont, um, surrounded by the organic farming community up there. Uh, my father was like heavily involved with NOFA, the National Organic Farmers Association. Um, you know, I, I worked at a, a little food co-op up there when I was growing up, um, and I, when you know, I became passionate about things I could drink from a pretty early age. You know, I, I remember actually one of my first memories in those terms was uh, going to an Orange Julius. And becoming obsessed with Orange Julius and trying to recreate it over and over and over again at home until I got what I thought was it, you know. Um, did you Did you ever figure out the secret? I'd li- I'd like to think so. <laughs> you probably don't want to share it. No, no. I'm actually I'm totally down. Get sued by Orange Julius. <laughs> maybe We're, we maybe. need them as a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they they're definitely in on, on Heritage Food. I know. Um, the way I, the way I do it is kind of a, a riff on I guess I guess now that I know a little bit more a riff on 
um, what? Oh gosh, um, I only know my my own French name for it now, which is not the actual name. Uh, it's a, a, a Mexican beverage as well. Um, when I make it, I call it Le Petit Mort, which is you know obviously a little joke there. But um, the you know to die dreaming, uh, morir soñando. There we go. Um, so I, I do I do a whole egg. I do some orange. I do some uh, cream. I do some vanilla syrup nowadays um back in the day when i was younger i needed a little bit of uh sugar and a little bit of vanilla extract but um i don't know i guess when i was growing up i would i would blend the hell out of it and nowadays i shake the hell out of it and do it like a yeah. flip but a non-alcoholic one or i like to add a little bit of uh gin and sweet vermouth a la a sweet bronx cocktail with orange julius instead of orange juice i guess you could say that's badass um <laughs> yeah it's pretty tasty too um and you kind of you kind of get there anyway. When I was you know when I was growing up and I went to Orange Julius at the local mall um, and became obsessed with it. Like I've got to figure this out. Um, so that kind of started me off at, you know on on things I could drink. And then uh, when I started working at the local food co-op, I became obsessed with you know beverages in general. So I I kind of became the beverage manager for a while there and was you know picking the ciders, picking the organic sodas, picking you know those sorts of things out and. Um, I mean, it was a small place, so it wasn't really that much responsibility, but it was <laughs> a lot of fun. And it exposed me to the idea of thinking about flavors that I imbibed. And so when I moved to New York City uh, years later and was putting, trying to put myself through school, um, you know, I guess actually like to step back you know, a moment, um, right before I moved to New York City, or actually not, not even right before, just a little bit ways before I moved to New York City, um, when I was trying to, I guess, keep on earning my keep, keep on earning my keep in Vermont, um, I had a few friends who were bartending at, like, you know, the local friendlies or uh, the Irish pub downtown, that kind of thing. And I always looked at what they were doing and was like, that is the, that, is, that seems like the, the, the sweet gig, you know? Like, you get to hang out. You, even though you're underage, you probably drink a couple drinks. Yeah. Uh, you meet girls, you know, you, you, you have fun. And, and it, and it just it just looks like a good time, and you walk with cash usually. You know, God, that sounds great. You know, it's like, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong with this situation, <laughs> right, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, why am I working on this farm right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, why am I working at this at this? You know, I don't know. Whatever else I was doing. Um, why am I why am I a bricklayer? <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, so I tried. You know, started getting like you know like small gigs there, and then you know very briefly upstate New York, and. Um, you know, while I was kind of like wandering around and trying to figure my, my stuff out, um, I mean, very briefly <laughs> anyway. Um, so when I got to New York, I was like, all right, the, the, you know, obviously this is the place to be a bartender and this is like the, you know, the gig to go for while I'm trying to pay my way through college. And, um, once I found, uh, a job that actually, you know, paid decently for bartending in New York, I was, I land, wound up landing at the mermaid Inn in the East village and, um, was behind the bar there. This is back when there was only one, one mermaid Inn in the East village, no, you know, no uptown, no oyster bar, nothing like that. And what turned me from a bartender who was there just trying to make some cash into, um, a bartender who really gave a damn was there was really, I can pinpoint one customer. There was one dude who came in all the time and like, three times a week and I was there a lot and he was there a lot and he would always order martinis and Manhattans, which at the time I was 
thinking, sweet, you know, this, these are, this guy just drinks a whole lot of these drinks that are two ingredients and I can just bang them out and it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I just throw the drink at him and maybe like six months into having him as a regular, he says to me, yeah, you know, you know, your, your, your cocktails are all right. And I found myself thinking, what the hell? Like, they're all right. There's two ingredients, asshole. Like, <laughs> how can this be all right? I, you know, I, how, how can I be screwing that up? Like, how isn't that great? You know, I mean, I, I feel like I did it the way I was taught to. You know, I, I shook my Manhattan the way I was supposed to. <laughs> so uh, I dumped a bunch of cherry juice in it like I was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I was incensed. And, uh, and be, you know, because I've got, I guess, a bit of a competitive streak, because I've got a bit of a, of a, a pride streak, um, I turned around and said, you know, I, all right, I want to make you the best damn Manhattan you've had. I want to make you the best damn martini you've had. And so I started reading about drinks and I started going to places that I knew had great cocktail programs, places where I knew people gave a damn about their drinks. And so I would go and watch what they were doing. And I started, I mean, the first thing obviously that I learned was don't shake your damn Manhattan or your <laughs> martini. You know? <laughs> but, um, but I started trying to educate myself about these things. And the minute I started that, so uh, to you know to backstep a tiny bit uh, again, my my parents are both you know farmers and and activists and all kinds of things. But um, one of the things that they both are is anthropologists with a focus on folklore and um, you know folk songs, folk tales, etc. And when I started to and historians, and when I started to delve into cocktail history, it dawned on me that this was a lot like that. Oh, that wow. there was yeah. an element to which cocktails are almost like folk music. You know the way that you. The way that, let's say, you know, a bluegrass tune, you know, uh, everybody has their own version. You know, there's, there's, there's Woody Guthrie's version, and then somebody else learned it, and then somebody else learned it, and you kind of pass it down by word of mouth, by, by execution, by... Um, so, so when you learn a, a cocktail recipe, especially before, you know, the, the current era when we all kind of are sharing from some of the same sources, there was, you know, there were moments when we... When, when how you made your X, how you made your Y had to do with who taught you and had to do with what lineage you were a part of. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, an oral tradition. It's a shared history. Right. And I got really excited about that. And I started thinking, you know, all right, this is, this is, this is a truly American art form. This is a, a, this is a culinary art form that we've lost. And this is a folk tradition to some degree. And there's a lot of room to, to get excited about that, especially as the child, again, of historians, you know, who are into, into that kind of thing. So, I started really pursuing it and really educating myself. And the, the second side of that coin was the more I got into cocktails and started to learn about spirits, started to learn about ingredients and syrups and all those sorts of things, it started to dawn on me that these were all agricultural products too. So again, there was a relationship between that and, you know, how I define myself, my upbringing, you know, uh, there's a relationship between that and the farming community I grew up around, the, the, that there was a disconnect that was happening a lot of the time, but, you know, for a lot of customers between, you know, wheat that's grown or rye grain that's grown and the whiskey that's made from it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still an agricultural product. And, and what's happening is we're applying, you know, human effort to what that agriculture produces. And so you have these two sides of that coin happening at the same time. And I related to both of them. And it was sort of like, how have I not, have I not been into this before? How did I not get this before? You know, like, like what have I been waiting for? So all of a sudden, I couldn't really think about much else. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, I got to get drunk doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to myself right now. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, like, and, you know, especially with, uh, like you were saying, like the folk art of it, you know, 
you know, bitters being folk medicine, uh, yeah, which yeah, we'll talk totally. about here in a little bit. Uh, I know you started making some bitters, which are delicious. I just got to try them. True. And then, like, even, you know, that being said, using folk medicine and then mixing that with, you know, the bitters with the agricultural distillates and, and ingredients, it is like a very, it's a, it is a folk culinary art, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. And like, like I just said, you, uh, so recently you just started making some bitters uh, for, uh, Cecil and Merle. Uh, I did, yeah, yeah. Cecil and Merle out of Prospect Heights. They're they're um, a lovely small like artisanal goods line out of. Um, they're 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 the same folks who did James Restaurant in Prospect Heights, mm-hmm. Brian Calvert and Deborah Williamson, and they tapped me. I used to used to be their bar manager years ago uh, over at James, and they tapped me to come and do bitters. I've been working on bitters exclusively on premise, and you know for home use. Um. Although less the latter, I suppose. Um, money is an incentive. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've been working on bitters for like the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they tapped me to come and design some bitters for them, it seemed like an opportune moment to really push, I guess, volume production and really see how that changes when you aren't just doing two gallons, one gallon a quarter of a gallon sure. at a time and also to fill what I saw as a gap in terms of the way that I like to make drinks, I suppose, yeah. um, which is weird to say considering how many bitters are on the market. There's so many. Yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, it's kind of overwhelming, especially when you go into stores like culinary shops to, to find like that bitters, you know, especially for someone who's like uh, an enthusiast or like a novice to come in, mm-hmm. like you really need to have like basically like a beer, like a bitter sommelier at the store <laughs> to like walk you through like the differences between all of them. Yeah. Oh, totally. There's, there's I mean, uh, for example, so the, the only one I produce, the only flavor I've produced so far for them is cherry, and uh, you know, there's there's at least four other cherry bitters out there. Uh, I'm sure there's more. Um, you know, there's and and there's dramatic differences between each of those. You know, um, there's so many aromatic bitters that are specifically, you know, not not a a, a toned flavor, but a a broad aromatic kind of quality. Here, let me while we talk about this, let me yeah. pour you some. Let okay, me cool. Taste it out. Um, yeah, I mean, like I tasted a little bit. I dashed a little bit earlier on the back of my hand, and uh, I have to say, it was like it was like the most like pronounced cherry flavor of any of the cherry bitters that I've had so far. Why? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, like. You know, a lot of them rely on the other ingredients, the other bittering agents, uh, barrel aging, those kinds of things. Um, but these are extremely good. I can't it's a little bit of cherry bitters and soda right there. Um, I mean, yeah, exactly. The, the idea for me was that I wanted something that, that was really just bit, you know cherry-focused and still bitter um, rather than, you know, letting things like vanilla, like supporting characters, uh, right. step forward too hard. These are great, and they're really still standing up in, in the in the seltzer water. Thank you very much. Yeah, I kind of want to put some in my cider here. <laughs> ah, sweet, do it, do it. I think I will. Ah, cider. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll dash them into our cider, and then uh, we'll talk about the outcome after this break. <laughs> right back in a moment with Justin Lean Briggs. Right on. You are listening to Easy Riding Child by Brothers NYC. Keep it locked here on Heritage Radio Network. Motor sleep child in the morning, I'm gone. Because 12 hours here, 12 hours too long. 30 odd years, man, was like a twist. 
Welcome back to the Speakeasy. We're sitting in the studio today with Justin Lane Briggs. Yo. He just turned me on to his Cecil and Marl cherry bitters, and I just put some in my British hard cider. And I got to say, it's probably my new drink of the summer now. Uh, if anybody out there needs the recipe, we'll post it on the Heritage website. <laughs> but I can just tell you right now, it's cider in cherry bitters. So there you go. But uh, yeah, I, we were just talking about it before the show, like. Um, making a cherry bitters and there, there are a lot of bitters out there on the market and like w- what's cool about this one to me is that you tend to there's this whole thing about like you know the qb cooler being the the precursor to the mai tai but it's less ingredients and you get kind of a better drink you know and being uh like a mixologist and a bartender a drinks maker drinks designer if you will um it's great to have products like this to where you don't you can kind of like knock out some steps and like actually get that flavor without having to take other steps to achieve that, you know? And it, like I, I've been saying this like ever since I started doing this show, but it's like the most exciting time because we have cool ingredients constantly coming out on the market, you know, that we can use to make new drinks, you know, and like new, new cocktails. Uh, one of like our pastry chefs uses, she always comes to the bar and grabs stuff and, you know, she's using these cool new ingredients to even bake with, you know, it's like super exciting on all fronts. Um, but also you could just see how, like we were talking about before, you know, like there's so many friends of mine are farmers and they, they get to like make something. I mean, that's, that's how like all these spirits came around. It's like using, exactly. using your crops, like we were talking about before and like basically preserving them in a way that's not like a, like a jelly or a jam. It's like, let's distill that shit. Because like yeah. you said at the end of what you were saying before, it's like, and I get to get drunk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, you know, make, making uh, making alcohol out of your produce is as old as anything humans do, really. You know, yeah. <laughs> it goes back to like Sumeria. Yeah, like that's that's that, that is not a new idea. You know, which I guess actually kind of segues nicely into my other plug, <laughs> little, little, little little work here again. Um, I'm also working right now for uh, a vermouth from Oregon, uh, imbue vermouth. If anybody sees it out there, try it. It's really good. Um, you know, vermouth, it's funny yeah, because, yeah, please grab those cups and, and taste some, Damon. Thank you. Nice job. Yes, I want some. I should, I should note at this point that I, I'm drinking with Damon, and it has been uh, a month, if you're counting February as a month, since I've had a, a, a drink. So this is, uh, this is a, a big moment for me. Anyway. Um, That's what they all say when they come on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't drink except for you. Um <laughs> What was I saying? Oh, no. Vermouth. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, uh, it's funny because you know, there's this resurgence of vermouth and aromatized wines going on right now. And vermouth really, you know, is, you know, we've kind of relegated it to being a mixer, to being something that you that you put or even like just as, you know, who Churchill said, you know, just look at it as you make your martini, that kind of thing. Right. Um, 
But really, it's a beverage in its own right and has been for a lot longer than pretty much anything else besides just wine and beer, you know, right. just, just basic fermentation. Uh, you know, th- there was Chinese vermouth with wormwood, you know, vermouth, wormwood, you know, yeah. vermouth, um, uh, back in like a thousand BC, you know, um, we've, we've had vermouth, we've had aromatized wine forever and we stopped drinking it the way we did around prohibition, um, like a lot of good things. Right. And we're just kind of re- reinvestigating that now. So, uh, you know, there's been, been the rise of domestic vermouth. So here we are with a pretty cool one. Um, this one's really cool to me because it's it's super, I don't know, it's super floral on the nose. Mm-hmm. It's got kind of like an elderflower kind of. There's elderflower. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's chamomile, you know. But I mean, like, but then on the palate, it's not like, it's kind of like the perceived sweetness, like on the nose. You'd think it'd be sweeter than it is, but it's got like all those great like spice characters. And like, it just really, it's it, like stands alone on its own, like you said, you know. And, you know, drinking this like on the rocks, you know, with a twist, I mean, I, I could do that all day. In fact, I've, proven that point <laughs> yeah exactly i, I love a, i love a glass i mean right now is also with the warm weather it's like the time for that kind of thing oh yeah i love i love vermouth all summer on the rocks it's so good um but it also you know specifically this and other other vermouths that are coming up now you know i love what like bianca's doing with uncouth i love what you know so many people are doing these days domestically and and you know to a lesser degree abroad i, mean, I love a lot of vermouth from abroad but that's not going to make the point i want to make right now which is that there is you know it comes back to that sense of agricultural awareness too you know for example uh, what we're doing with Imbue is um, is focused also on the sense of terroir and the the grape and where it's from. It's from Willamette Valley. It's uh, Pinot Gris, and it's um, it's really trying to to focus both on the grape and the way the wine functions, as well as the flavors that you're infusing into it. So check that check that stuff out. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, like, I, going back to you. Um, well, I, got, I keep looking at my cider and this vermouth and then the cherry bitters, and I'm just like about to freak out. I'm like, by the end of the show, they're all going to be mixed together. Um, <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, like Willamette Valley is like one of the, the most badass wine-producing parts of the country now. Totally. Yeah. And and, and, to, and it's almost a no-brainer to, to connect the dots. I mean, it really is a collaboration between uh, bartenders and wine – well, a bartender, a winemaker. Um, really, it's 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 – about trying to explore what both people bring to the table in those terms and what what it's like when you treat both aspects of that with that kind of culinary and agricultural approach but but we I've done enough plugging I've done enough plugging <laughs> let's let's move on to something else <laughs> no no well I, I I actually just want to talk about vermouth and cocktails for a lot a right little on. while too you know you were talking about shaking your uh, manhattans and martinis <laughs> and like um and now we're talking about vermouth and when you started making uh what what, what was your uh, your approach to a, a martini did you put vermouth <laughs> in it at all oh yeah no i did um but but i did like you know i basically kind of turned the bottle upside down for a half a second <laughs> right, and right. pulled it away um when i first made those um you, you know nowadays i i kind of swear by the two to one although i like a 50 50 absolutely me too absolutely. <laughs> um i mean you know again you know uh, all right, damn, but but gonna... things, things have changed a lot since we started bartending, though. You know, like we didn't have mm. good vermouth back then. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, like, every, of course, like when I started drinking martinis, I always wanted them like bone dry. Uh-huh. But I, I but I have to say, I always drink mine with gin. Well, and, and, well me, oh, me too. Absolutely. You know, um, but that being said, you know, also the vermouth that I was being exposed to was that same vermouth that's been sitting on the back bar for 15 warm. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or even for a month. But, you know, it's just warm. It's not it's not being refrigerated. It's not being cared for the way you would a wine, the way you would an aromatized wine with low proof. You know, you're not 
I was drinking a rotten product every time I drank it, you know? Right. So it's, it's funny to, to now be trying to re-educate people and say, you know, li- listen, like vermouth is, is a beverage and you should, you know, love it and treat it with respect, but also you should probably take care of it because otherwise it's going to spoil and you're going to think it's gross and you won't like it in your drink anymore. Yeah. You have to drink, you have to drink it before it goes bad. So you know, <laughs> as soon as you open it, <laughs> down the hatch, <laughs> down the hatch. Just turn it up, man. But yeah, I mean, like uh, one of my old bartenders, uh, Cabell, um, Cabell Tomlinson, she went to Italy and brought me back a bottle of Carpano Classico mm-hmm. and the weird like 965 milliliter bottle that you can't get here. But like, I just remember like loving Carpano Antica and then getting, tasting the uh, Carpano Classico formula, which was just like even more bitter and like more lush and just like mind blowing. And I really did. I mean, I think I think it was like me and a couple of friends finished it in one seating, and it was it was like one of the happiest moments of my I life. Don't blame you. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like going to that, like I I remember like the guy who actually taught me how to make martinis. It was it was kind of mind blowing when he taught me to to stir it instead of shake it. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell are you doing? This is crazy. And he's like, this takes longer. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and it's not going to be as cold, man. But um, I do remember. Uh, him like i think he probably used about a half ounce to like two and a half ounces of vodka gin or i can't remember what it was. i think it was i think it was like bombay sapphire or something like that yeah um but even that blew my mind you know uh this is actually like before i started bartending but he taught me that and like he uh you know he did it with a twist instead of olives there was it wasn't dirty it was like and it was just like the coolest crispest like coolest thing and i felt so cool about it you know mm-hmm. especially because you know in oklahoma like even when i started drinking manhattans i would always ask for them with a twist instead of a cherry because back then we were still getting all those crappy cherries like that you know in the jar with it's like neon red <laughs> oh um, yeah if any if anybody out there has ever read about how those are made also i don't want to talk about it because it's disgusting it's disgusting go we go, can take a trip to red hook and <laughs> i can show you <laughs> uh, go read it if you want to be really disturbed it's horrible yeah, it's pretty bad. It's horrible. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, it's those, like, defining moments, like, where, like you said, when you when you figured out the secret of the Orange Julius, uh, <laughs> and you had that realization where the agricultural side and the historical side came into play with uh, what you want to do with beverages. Those are those, like, defining moments in your life when everything clicks and you're just like, wow, mm-hmm. this is such a cool thing to be into, and, like, that you immediately you just want to share it with everyone exactly especially because you look around and you think you know i i feel like so many people aren't you know don't 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 see this why won't you see this let draw the lines draw the lines you know you want you you kind of want to grab people and say listen you know this thing you're drinking was a grape or this thing you're drinking was an apple or it was uh you know some some corn or some rye and someone grew that and how they did it probably makes an impact on what you're drinking right now Dude, I think you and I have a project in the future because I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to make, I mean, on, even if it's only one bottle, um, <laughs> I want a to one off. <laughs> I want to like go to my farm in Oklahoma, uh, get some, either grow some corn or some wheat. Normally, it's wheat that we have growing. We used to grow corn back in the day, but from start to finish, grow the crop, harvest it, macerate it, distill that shit. Age it, and uh, the the trees that we have in my farm, are, they're all like pecan trees. But that'd be kind of <laughs> cool, like pecan. Uh, trees, hell yeah, hell yeah. Aged, uh, but um, but then pecan barrels, <laughs> pecan barrels. Yeah, man, aging that, then you know, strain it out. But 
get like some sand from the the beach of the lake where I grew up, mm. melt it down, make a bottle. I used to like I used to work in printing. <laughs> And design, design the, the label, label. <laughs> like, dude. Like every single part of it, like fully hands on. I think, I think between you and I, we could probably make that happen. I think you're right. I think you're right. The only be... thing is, I don't have any cork trees. <laughs> well, um, we'll, figure something out. I think, I think my dad may have a bottling, like a, a bottle cap thing. We could just do a, you know, a pop top, and somebody has to find their own damn cork. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, you know, or we could just whittle one out of one of those dicks in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> there you just go. Just shoving it. In. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Justin, God, it was so great having you on the show today, man. Man, that, that half hour flew by. That it was, always does. It always yeah. does, especially when you're drinking good vermouth with good friends and great bitters. Cheers, right on. And bitters in the, in the cider. You know. Well, thank you. Please come. Drink of the summer. Everybody out there, please come visit me at Barbess uh, on Mondays also over in Park Slope, a little, little music venue. And yeah. uh, please come visit Damon at Prime Meats and please yeah. have drinks with us. I'll be there on Monday, <laughs> so come visit us on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Justin, thank you so much. Come on again anytime you'd like. Thank you. I would love to. All right, we'll see you next week. That's it. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>